When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hey guys, you ready to let the dogs out? What? Do what? <laughs> let the dogs out. You know, like, who let the dogs out? Who, who? Off the Hook, airing on offthehooksports.com. Your home for real news, real opinions, and what really matters about Tennessee athletics. Always available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, TuneIn, iHeart. Like, share, follow, subscribe. Always available wherever you find your favorite podcasts. Loaded up on this Tuesday. Hope you're having a fantastic day. If you're in East Tennessee, then the weather is absolutely gorgeous. So we are loaded up with a fantastic show today. And we'll visit with Jimmy Hyams of the Sports Animal in Knoxville a Hall of Fame broadcaster and sports writer and a Hall of Famer uh, with the uh, Sports Hall of Fame just in general, just being uh, around sports as much as he can and a guy that certainly was a mentor of mine and looking forward to visiting with him about a couple of topics, including Josh Heupel and Nick Saban's recent hires. What does it say about their individual programs? And at what point might Josh Heupel's offense be figured out. Also going to talk some Lady Vols on the program. And a little bit later, we will get to the most underrated prospect on Tennessee's board, the the young man that might have a three-star next to him that's going to end up being a contributor right away. And sporting an awesome sport coat is Caleb Calhoun. How are you, sir? I'm good. The sport coat makes up for I am having an awful hair day, guys. I apologize. Didn't get my hair to go the way I should have. <laughs> you, look, you look fantastic. Well, uh, you you got it together better than Texas and Oklahoma, and I want to get to that right now. Go ahead and hit hit that like button if you don't mind. It helps us spread the word. And if you haven't subscribed yet, please do that because Texas and Oklahoma will not be joining this news broke on Friday. Will not be joining the SEC until 2025. We just haven't had a chance to get to it brought to you by Bassey Lawn and Garden Man Alive it's worth the drive Bassey Lawn and Garden has all the way from commercial to industrial mowers they've got residential as well but if you're in Nashville Knoxville or Chattanooga you need to get to Cleveland Tennessee if you're restocking your fleet or starting your own company there it is Bassey Lawn and Garden Man Alive it's worth the drive Toro count on it so let me ask you this pretty simply put Caleb are Texas and Oklahoma ducking the SEC by not joining until 2025. That was the original date all along, but broke by Pete Thamel of ESPN on Friday. Uh, the two teams will not be joining until 2025. There had always been, and I was captive of this as well, uh, 
the mindset that those two teams would join by 2024. I think even though it was announced 2025, uh, I remember when it happened at SEC Media Days, there was always a thought that, no, this is probably going to happen earlier than that. But turns out it won't. So it's back to the original plan, but nobody really thought the original plan was going to stick. What do you make of Texas and Oklahoma not being in the SEC till 2025? I, I don't think they were ducking as much as I just don't think there were some scheduling agreements they could work out. If I think Texas still plays Alabama in 2023 and then they play Michigan in 2024, combine that with their big Big 12 schedule, it's hard for me to think that they're really running from talent. Um, I think they wanted to keep some of these. I think both them and OU wanted to keep certain scheduling contracts in place, although OU scheduling contract with Tennessee has been nixed. Um, so I think it probably has something more to do with that. Um, maybe the Big 12 has some sort of an exit strategy that's a little bit difficult. Um, maybe, quite honestly, it could be the other way. Maybe the SEC is not really hashed out how they're going to add them yet. So maybe the SEC kind of pushed them to stall because I still don't think the SEC is very clear on how they're going to organize these conferences, the, this conference yet. And I think they're a little confused. I don't think the SEC knows, but I think if – if it was 2024, they could go into a long weekend and figure the thing out. I, I, I believe that two teams that are in a rebuild, and Oklahoma you didn't expect to be in a rebuild when they hired Brent Venables, but yet they are in some sense, at least trying to bounce back at the very least. And then you have Texas that is under a rebuild and Steve Sarkeesian. I, I believe that this filters up the administration and eventually filters – up to uh, the conference and how to work this out. This is all about money. This is going to be, this has to be a financial settlement between the Big 12 and Network. And I do believe that the coaches would prefer to be in the Big 12 one more year to get their program on stable footing. So I could easily see and do believe that coaches, Venables and Sarkeesian, have likely expressed, hey, if it's 2025, that's fine. And when that filters up the chain, it eventually goes in decision-making mode. So ducking may be a strong word, but I don't have any question in my mind that uh, the coaching staff and the football programs, those individual schools would be just fine with another season in the Big 12. So if you want to call it ducking or not, I I think they are. I, I think that um, another year to rebuild those programs is exactly what they want. But are we sure, and here's the question is, are we really sure that if Texas and Oklahoma joined the big the SEC in 2024, that their schedules would be more difficult than what the Big 12 schedule is going to be for them that year? And I, I look, the SEC is tougher than the Big 12. I'm saying that straight up. But let's say hypothetically the SEC goes to a pod system, which seems to be the most common idea. And if you're Texas and Oklahoma, you're in a pod with Arkansas and Missouri. That would be the 14 pod system, maybe Texas A&M. Uh, you maybe Texas, Oklahoma, Texas A&M, and Missouri, or something like that. But your pod might be easier than what your Big 12 schedule would look like. And then what if you get a heck of a draw from the other side of the SEC for the other pods you're going to face, where it could be like, I don't know, what if Tennessee, Vanderbilt, Kentucky, and South Carolina are a pod, or something like that. And that's your draw. And you get Vanderbilt, Kentucky, Missouri, Texas A&M, who I think Texas A&M, I think you and I both agree, they're going to fall apart pretty quickly and if you, i mean you could end up seeing where your sec slate and this is what i talked about yesterday why i'm not a fan of the pod system you could really 
draw an SEC slate that's easier than heck, that's easier than a Big Ten West slate if you get the right teams. Well, I, but in and of itself, I mean, you're talking about a lot of unknowns. In and of itself, I think you would agree that the SEC is going to be tougher than the Big 12, right? Um, yes. <clears throat> so there's an unknown there, but what is known is that playing in the, the SEC is going to be tougher than the Big 12. So if if I'm Texas or Oklahoma, I don't, I'm in no hurry to get in the SEC, uh, ducking or not, call it what you want to. I understand <clears throat> that there are considerable financial compensations that are going to have to be made to Fox and the television networks that have aligned themselves with a Big 12. But I think all that's doable. I mean, the, the SEC has been able to move mountains. If, if you're... If you're telling me that the SEC couldn't help make this happen, then I I just don't believe that because – not you rhetorically, but I just don't see that this couldn't happen by 2024 if everybody wanted it to happen. So my question to you is who doesn't want it to happen? The only answer to that to me is Texas and Oklahoma because the sooner you get them in the conference, the sooner that you – um, you get more television revenue, you get more ratings. Um, I don't know why the SEC would hold it up on their end. I think you're higher on the SEC administration than I am. I'm, I'm going to be honest. Um, I haven't been high on the SEC since they inked that deal with ESPN. Now, that this isn't a not – I know some people just have strong feelings against ESPN. This isn't about them inking a deal with ESPN. This is about them latching their entire network and conference, their entire conference – to one network and then you saw what the big 10 did where they literally shot themselves to three or four different networks got a deal twice as worth more than twice as much as the sec in the process and i i kind of started to think it was i, I gotta be honest I, I said this before with 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 the sec administration i think the sec is such an easy product to sell i think sometimes we overestimate the actual talent involved in actually selling it and marketing it whereas dave you and i could run the sec it, there's just too much there's just too many great brands in that conference where you don't really have to think that hard in trying to sell it and i, I think it's like i think it's what i said about nfl commissioners the last 10 15 years i think roger goodell more rode a wave of nfl popularity than he actually did anything to make it popular yeah i'm i'm gonna have to and we'll find out who's right I'm going to have to disagree on that. I, I I think that you do align yourself with ESPN because it's so readily accessible. I think you help yourself in a number of ways. Now, I know that the Big Ten shopped itself, and that's all well and good, but ultimately it's just one television contract, ups and other, ups and other. So, you know, it just depends which year you check the financial dollars. But aside from the financial dollars, the exposure – that ESPN provides is tremendous. I still think that even though ESPN has dipped, that 90% of us, when we want to see, um, you know, if the Nets beat the Wizards, you go to ESPN. Um, you, I still think that's your go-to. So if I'm the SEC, I want to be aligned with ESPN and ABC. Let's not forget. I mean, that's a pretty big network. So, um, I, I want to be aligned with them. I think that you, uh, it helps you in a number of ways from an exposure standpoint all the way down to the Heisman Trophy, to teams in the college football playoff. Not to insinuate there would be politics there, but there are. 
I, I love the working with ESPN. And if I had to choose between the two, I know it's more money. I would take that deal over the Big Ten deal. But um, so you would rather be with just ESPN and ABC? You think them alone that affiliate? You know that you think Disney alone outweighs being with Fox, CBS, and NBC altogether, plus FS1 and FS2. They might be able to pull some things on Peacock too with NBC now the Big Ten. I mean, I just you think you think you you think Disney alone outweighs all of those? I do, and I, I I might be in the minority. I just think what what you're talking about all those different networks are fragmented. I know that when I wake up at um, and I know that the big noon kickoff has gotten a little bit of traction, but when I wake up on Saturday morning at nine a.m. I'm watching college game day. I know that when I come home and I want to see if the Celtics won, I'm looking for ESPN. I don't see, even though ESPN has slipped, I don't see that changing anytime soon. Do you? Um, I, I think they've, where ESPN is dominating right now that's underrated is I think ESPN dominates more than the cable markets of like turning on ESPN. They dominate the internet market. So I go to ESPN to look for all the scores. I go to ESPN.com. And pull up the scores. And I do say they have a complete monopoly on that. I don't know why they have a monopoly on that. And I, I, I mean, I'm someone who prefers it too. I wonder if it's just habit or if it's, or if they actually are better and more interactive, but if it's just habit, then that's not going to last too much longer. I, I do think that they're, I like their box scores better. I like things, you know, it's easier for me to look at ESPN for that stuff. So maybe, maybe that's where it comes in and maybe you're right because I've never gone to Fox or NBC or CBS to look at scoreboards. I've never done that. Uh, me neither. I mean, changing viewing habits and what we type into our phone or our computer is 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 difficult. That takes time and it takes talent. I, I give kudos to Fox for who they've hired. I think they've got a great group on that uh, big noon kickoff. But um, you know, changing viewing habits and and all that is is difficult. And I think ESPN still has the market cornered on that. I don't know how long that lasts. The question is, um, how long does Kelly Harper last with the Lady Balls? So, a very disappointing loss to Mississippi State, double overtime, and um, it, it just to me feels like this is going to end poorly. Portions of the program brought to you by Zach England of Best and Brock. Zach's got your back. Best injury, personal injury attorney in Chattanooga. So, Best and Brock, Zach England, Zach's got your back. So, your thoughts on the Lady Vols? Yeah. I am on your side now. And I think um, the Lady Vols are Alabama after Bear Bryant. Where Alabama kept saying, this person played for Bear Bryant or coached under Bear Bryant. Let's hire them. And that's all they hired for. They either hired former players or Bear Bryant protégés for 25 years until they went for Nick Saban. I'm with you. I don't think you just go away from Pat Summit because you don't want to be around any of her protégés because you think it's just kind of a problem, but they are very biased to players and people affiliated with the Lady Vols from certain eras. And the, as, for as long as they do that, they're never going to return to prominence. Um, are you saying, are you of the mindset that Kelly Harper's done? I think she's done. I think she's done. I just, yes, there was a Tamari Key injury this year. I understand that, but they were unranked and fell out of the top 25 before Tamari Key got hurt. And so I think she's done. And I think one of the things that's hurting Kelly Harper is it, it's ironic because you don't want to talk about, you want to talk about moving on from Pat Summit, 
But have you seen what Carol Lawson's doing at head coach at Duke right now? I mean, she's doing an amazing job. And you could see there's a chance maybe Tennessee doesn't want to miss out on her. And I know she's a Pat Summit protege, but I think she might. It's not about her being. Kelly Harper was hired because of her connections to the Lady Vols and Pat Summit. Carol Lawson wouldn't be hired because of that. Carol Lawson would be hired specifically because of what we've seen her do at Duke already. And I think that is a bit of a difference. No, you're right. And I, I, I question, though, whether or not Carol Lawson would want the job. I mean, she has seen two Pat Summit protégés go through the ringer, and she is realistic and smart enough to know that the women's game is far more competitive than it was when Pat Summit was coaching. You're not going to win seven national titles. You're not going to go undefeated more than likely in today's game. She's got a pretty good gig at Duke where basketball is important. And I don't know if you call Carol Lawson right now, if she would take the Tennessee job and that, that sounds crazy, but again, it's like there was been, there's been no separation. So you never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. And again, please click that like button and subscribe if you haven't already. You never want to be the guy that replaces the guy. You want to be the guy that replaces the guy that replaces the guy. So we all thought Kelly Harper would be that gal in this particular case and turns out not to be the case. So it's like seven degrees of Kevin Bacon. You've continued to have this connection. And if you went Kara Lawson, you're still kind of like the guy that replaces the guy. You still have that Pat Summit tie. So if Carol Lawson had no ties to Tennessee and she's doing what she's do, doing at Duke, or you want to take a Don Staley or somebody else that has no ties to Tennessee, then you're suddenly not the guy that's replacing the guy. I feel like Carol Lawson, if she came in, would be like the guy that's replacing the guy. Does that make sense? Yeah, I see what you're saying. Um, and I'm with you. Uh, she may, I mean, I think Tennessee might be – if I were to say it's the women's basketball equivalent of UCLA on the men's side, I don't think UCLA is a good job. I'm just going to be honest. And unless you remember when Rick Barnes was negotiating with UCLA to kind of get a pay raise at Tennessee a few years ago, I had said at that time, if I were Rick Barnes, I'd much prefer to coach at Tennessee than UCLA. I mean, you can get paid the same amount of money. You have a connection. You're, you're, you live, your family's from the area. This is home for you. If you're Rick Barnes, and your expectations are not going to be what they are at UCLA. UCLA still carries itself like they should be winning a national championship every year. They've got one since John Wooden retired, and that was with a coach who has gotten in trouble at two separate schools for NCAA violations. And so I, I think I wonder if the Lady Vols are going to go down the same path. And you're right, it's not six national, I mean, eight national championships and three straights not happening anymore. For those who don't realize, even UConn, who obviously reached a new level of dominance after Pat Summit passed away, unfortunately, they haven't won a national title in six years. And they're not one-on-one this year either for people who have followed them. So Gino hasn't won one since 2016. And so neither team is dominating the landscape anymore. And no one really is. You're right. You mentioned Don Staley. No way in the world Don Staley is leaving South Carolina for Tennessee. <laughs> that's just not happening. And so that's a good point with Carol Lawson. Um, I don't know where you go. You know, Georgia's current coach, I'm forgetting her name, Danny White hired her at UCF. Um, and she did a really good job at UCF. He hired Felicia Leggett-Jack at Buffalo. Leggett-Jack's at Syracuse now. I think she's going to do a good job. But she has been fired in the past. I think that's a bit of a red flag sometimes. I just think that we know that Danny White is the 
I said this is why he's the best athletic director in sports. He's the best hire in sports. And so, you know, I, I think Danny White already – If I think right now if, Danny, if, if Kelly Harper is on the hot seat, I, I guarantee you Danny White already has 10 names he's ready to talk to right now. Oh, you, you, you always have the bus list in case somebody steps in front of a bus and gets hit. Um, <laughs> you always have the bus list. You're talking about a, uh, Katie Abrahamson Henderson. And yes. she, she's won seven SEC regular season championships, four conference tournament championships. The, the, the thing that's incredibly tough about the Tennessee job is not just the fact that you have to live up to uh, Pat Summit's legacy, which you're not going to be able to do. She, the, the, the sport has changed so, so much. But you, you have to realize that the fan base expectations – are high anyway. And <clears throat> they're going to expect they're going to expect a championship once every 4 or 5 years. Mm-hmm. I mean even if the expectations are properly adjusted from Pat Summit to somebody else whether it's Carol Lawson or whoever Vols time saying I believe Carol Lawson would come to Tennessee if the money was right. Um I think she would too, but I think if I were her advisor, I might say about this long and hard, Kara, because I don't know that <clears throat> this will this will end well. Yeah, and I, I want to say this out uh, up front. I will. It, there's a couple of hard things with the Tennessee Lady Vols that make them different from other other programs. Do we want to say there is a Dave? As you know, I feel like the Lady Vol hardcore fan base is a little bit different demographically than who follows men's basketball and football. Not that they don't cross, but I think the 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 dedicated fan base is a little bit different demographically. And I think many of them care a lot more about not just winning, but what Tennessee, the Lady Vols brand represents. Remember how big of a deal it was when Dave Hart took away the Lady Vols name a few years ago? Yes. And I think that that's where it's tricky. For instance, I will say this. This is where you're a little, ham- you, you, you're a little hamstrung if you're the Lady Vols. I don't think you can ever hire a man to coach the Lady Vols. I don't. I think there's way too much pride about Title IX and what women's basketball, the game, and brand means. I don't think you can ever hire a man to coach the Tennessee Lady Vols. I, I don't think it would go over well with the alumni. And I, I hadn't thought about that. It wouldn't be a factor in my mind, but I'm all that over today. I, I you shouldn't care. Yeah, I mean, if there's a fantastic football coach that's female, you should hire them. We, that, that just isn't out there right now. Um, it shouldn't matter, but you bring up an interesting point. It, it, yeah, I, I hate to see this for Kelly Harper. I hate to see it for Holly Warlick because I feel like it's an impossible situation. Um, but um, It didn't help with Holly Warlick also in her defense, and she recruited well. But So when Dave Hart hired her, he didn't give her like this long-term deal. I think her contract was like three years the whole time she was there, which, you know, Dave, you, you, it's so hard to recruit if you're on a three-year contract, you need at least a five-year contract usually to, before you can recruit. Well, she wasn't in the upper echelon of paid SEC coaches, despite look, whatever, what we know Kelly Harper became at the time, she was on paper, the most qualified person to take that job by far. And, but because she was paid low, then you, when you brought in Kelly Harper, you couldn't really pay Kelly Harper more than you were paying Holly Warlick. So, yeah, just a little bit of a trick. Yep. I, I don't, I'm, I'm interested to think over the men's thing, if that, 
if that matters, if it's a man or not. It shouldn't, but maybe it does. I, I would throw a lot of money at Carol Lawson. However, by the same token, I'm not sure if I'm Carol Lawson. I take it back in three minutes with Jimmy Himes of the Sports Animal. Stay tuned. Off the hook sports. Hang with me. Hit the like button. Jimmy Himes up next. Family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater. Inflation has risen to the highest level in over 40 years, according to the April 2022 U.S. Inflation Calculator. Will your investments provide you the income you need in retirement? Are you losing purchasing power of your savings due to inflation? Simply stated, if the cost of goods and services are 8% higher and you're only earning 4% in your investments, that money buys you less of what you need. Right now is the time to act. Call Guardian Investment Advisors today. Hey folks, Gary Viles here. I want to personally invite you to North Knoxville's newest sports bar and restaurant. It's Big Orange Phillies, located in Black Oak Center. And yes, folks, it's happening in halls. Big Orange Phillies offers family-friendly environment with homemade meals and the best deli South subs around. Billiards, darts, jukebox, shuffleboard, and cornhole, and a full bar. We also offer valet parking on weekends and during special events. We even have a covered back patio. It's happening at Big Orange Phillies. We want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalist for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero Turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Got cataracts? We can fix that. Never miss another moment with a little help from Drs. Campbell, Cunningham, Taylor, and Hahn at cctis.com. Please allow me to introduce myself. I'm Welcome back. Interesting comment from the message board as I want to remind you the portions of the program brought to you by Andy Mason Real Estate. Andy Mason Real Estate.com is in Knoxville and in his office over 40 years of experience 
in the real estate field in Knoxville. And there are two business tenants that Andy Mason goes by, and that is the best service and the best prices. How sweet is that? So that's pretty awesome. Andy Mason, realestate.com. Tell them that Off the Hook Sports and Dave Hooker sent you uh, this post on our message board. Should Tennessee consider Tyler Summit to coach the girls' team? I don't think that's going to happen. Things went very south. Uh, well, I don't think Tyler should ever be allowed in any position of power ever again. Yes, and I did some Googling, coincidentally, like a couple weeks ago just to see what he's up to, and I think he's out of coaching altogether. There was a, a scandal at Law Tech that I think would preclude him from that. I think most people thought that would be the natural progression before that happened, though, didn't, didn't you? Yeah, but the, I'm so sick of, like, coaches' sons getting, like – or children like you know getting positions because of that I mean I know how you feel about Derek Dooley and I mean I am with you that I think half the reason Dooley was hired was he was Vince Dooley's son and great, great parallel though yeah <laughs> Mike Shula at Alabama too you know it's funny we talk about Derek Dooley versus Kippy Brown Sylvester Croom should have gotten that Alabama job in 2003 and then they gave it to Don Shula's son and so you know there's yeah I, I I'm, I'm tired of coaches sons <laughs> Yeah, I, um, I'm not a big fan of coaches' sons either, uh, but I think we would have to agree that the um, the Tyler Summit thing is definitely a whole different animal altogether. Um, yes. So. Massive, massive scandal. Um, going back again, why do you think that it would be, as we're working to get Jimmy Himes on, um, but why do you think that um, – a men's coach would not be accepted by the fan base. I think demographically, you have to understand that what makes the Lady Vols special, even more special than UConn, what make the Women's Basketball Hall of Fame is there, is if you look at Tennessee's history, one of the reasons the Lady Vols as a program is so successful is because they outwardly embraced Title IX when it happened in the 70s. In the face of a lot of opposition, there were a lot of people that really didn't think women's sports was worth it. And Tennessee built and cultivated a following very dedicated to women's sports. And you had in Pat Summit a woman who was very not just committed to Tennessee winning, as you know, went out of her way to try to promote the women's basketball game and take it to a new level. I do believe that um, I've heard rumors, Dave, you can confirm this or not, but I have heard rumors that she had been offered at point at times chances to coach the men's team as part of a splash hire, but turned it down because she was rather than to be the first woman's coach in the men's game, it was more important for her to uplift the entire women's sport. And I don't, I think there is some, this, this isn't at every school. I'm not against men coaching women's basketball. I'm also not against women coaching men's basketball. And I'm waiting for the first woman, female head coach in, in, the, in the men's game. But I, I think that at Tennessee specifically, there was such a sense of pride about the women's game that I just don't think you can hire based on what, based on how many people that many people in the fan base that were cultivated into this, in, into this fan base. I, I don't think it's going to go over well if you hire a man for a head coach. I don't, I don't think they should. I'll be honest with you. I, I don't think they even should. I don't even really think of that in basketball. I used to say when Pat Summit was the women's coach that she could be the men's coach and it would be a challenge in recruiting and i think that still 
safe to say, but not nearly as much as it would have been two decades ago or let's yeah, two decades ago. I, I think that uh, a women's coach could have success on the men's side and vice versa. I don't know that really that ever Caleb was a serious consideration for, for Tennessee. It was something that was kicked and bannered about. I don't, and I don't think she would have ever wanted to do that. To me, that would have made what she had done a bit of a sideshow. And um, what she did was phenomenal. So I don't think that you would – I don't think she would have wanted to do that, and I don't think that Tennessee would have wanted to be a part of that. Yeah, I agree. I agree. I think um, it would have been a – we already know how little they that Tennessee cared about men's basketball during this time in the nineties and the two thousands. If they had like hired Pat Summit, say when Kevin O'Neill left or when Jerry Green was fired, it, at that point it would have looked a lot. It would have looked more like trying to steal headlines than trying to win games. Even if I think Pat Summit could have done it, it would have been like what the Jets did when they brought in Tim Tebow twelve years ago. Remember that? <laughs> and that was a blatant headline grab. I, I'm not. That that was a. That was a, we're mad the Giants won the Super Bowl. Let's try to get the back pages of the New York Post talking about us again. Let's bring in our special guest. We had a little connection issues, which uh, tends to happen from time to time. But Jimmy Himes joins us now. He's a Hall of Famer. And every Hall of Fame that I can imagine, a mentor, a a good friend, and uh, just a great guy recently announced his retirement. I can't imagine what that's going to be like that. Uh, the media daily ins and outs without him. So I just want to start by Jimmy, congratulations on your retirement and one heck of a career. Dave, I appreciate it. I was surprised how many people had hoped I'd retired sooner, but Hey, (laughs) (laughs) they were stuck stuck with me a little bit longer than they wanted to. (laughs) Jimmy's the best at, um, and he doesn't mean to do it, but you're the, you're the best at tweeting. And for some reason, when you tell the truth, it gets some people upset. So on your retirement, yeah. tweet, on your retirement tweet, I did scroll down to see how many it would take before somebody said something smart alecky. And it was a nine for the record. I'm surprised it was ticked that long. <laughs> well, uh, congratulations. Uh, there, there's a lot of things I want to get to uh, with you. And um, in particular, I wanted to uh, kick around uh, Josh Heupel's recent hires versus Nick Saban's recent hires. Whereas uh, Josh Heupel stays in-house, it appears as if Nick Saban is going to go out of house. But he's also, by his hires, it, it seems like to me, maybe get, maybe going back to something a little bit more traditional offensively and something he can control defensively. What, what did you think of the hires? I think that here's the way I, I look at that. When Nick Saban hires somebody on defense, it's usually somebody that has had something to do with the system, and he feels comfortable with them. Look, this is Kevin Steele's third go-round at Alabama. He actually helped Nick Saban figure out how to handle the zone blitzes years ago when Kevin Steele was on his staff. So it looks to me like Saban's comfort zone sometime, most time is to go with the guy that's been on his staff. Kirby Smart was on his staff for a long time, right? When he goes offense, he's a little bit more inclined to bring in some new blood, okay? I think there's a little bit of that with Josh Heifel. Look at his promotions. So he goes with the quarterback's coach is now that's the offensive coordinator. He promotes a tight ends coach. He has his set offense the way he wants to run it, and he wants people familiar with that. Well, when he goes out and hires defensive coaches – they're people that don't necessarily have ties to him. So I think I, I see a similarity. Saban more toward defensive guys with familiarity, 
Heupel more toward offensive guys with his familiarity. And then they branch out a little bit when it comes to the opposite side of the ball. That's a great point. Uh, schematically, though, the two the two hires are, are way different. Josh Heupel is the offensive coordinator, essentially. He's going to run mm-hmm. when he wants to run. Right. Alabama's decision to go with Tommy Reese, I think, says that they're going to be more pro-style maybe moving forward. And first, do you agree with that? Second, did Alabama get a little bit soft in, in, over the course of the past couple of years? On offense, uh, I yeah. think I think maybe a little bit. And look, what they've done on offense has served them pretty well, okay? Yeah. It's like if they don't make it to the national championship or win the national championship, what's wrong with Nick Saban? What's wrong with Alabama? But they're always in the hunt regardless. And it was Lane Kiffin that brought in more of the spread, more of the, uh, some up-tempo to do some things like that. Of course, and he had some pretty good quarterbacks to work with, and he molded some quarterbacks. So I, I do think they're going back a little bit more toward the pro style. The pro style would be more running the football, more power football than what they've been doing. They spread it out a lot. Their running totals weren't that good last year, even though I thought they had a really good running back in Gibbs. But I, I do think they got – I don't know if soft's too harsh of a word, but they weren't as physical on offense as they had been in the past, and they had more trouble just lining up and running at you when they needed to run the football to run the clock. And so I do think they're going to go back toward more physical uh, offensive uh, play. And also they've recruited really good offensive linemen. They have the offensive personnel, I think, to run that type of a scheme with more of a power game. Jimmy, uh, the thing that threw me off with the Tommy Reese hire was I looked at his last three years at Notre Dame, and he's never had a top 20 offense um, any of the years. Yeah. And I, I wonder – now there could be two reasons for that, and I wonder which one you think it is. you think it's he's just not uh, that great of an offensive coordinator, or is it because I would say maybe similar to Jim Chaney or even Todd Munkin, like the pro-style offense is more dependent on talent, and, and Notre Dame just didn't have the talent that he's going to have at Alabama. I think there's something to be said for that. I, I'm, I'm a little bit unsure about how good their quarterback play was. That, that's one. The second thing is they had a really good kind of a scat back name, uh, Tyree. And I thought he would be much involved with the offense. And they ended up going back to a couple more power running backs. And Tyree didn't get as many touches or what is as productive as I thought. So that surprised me a little bit. But you're right about Reese. He doesn't strike me as somebody that's going to come in and wow you with what he does on offense. And so I do wonder, today's point, is Alabama going to go back to more of a running game, control the clock a little bit more, and rely more on their defense? So. I do wonder if that's the, the scheme, but I, I was a little bit surprised. Now, he tried to hire the guy from Washington, and the guy Washington likes to throw it a lot more, right? If you saw what Michael Penix did at Washington, uh, but then he goes to Reese, who doesn't throw it as much and hasn't been as productive. So I'll be really interested to see if, if Alabama changes their philosophy, which I think they will. And by the way, I don't know how in the world they can find a quarterback as good as Bryce Young. I see an offensive drop-off in Alabama. Uh, no, I, I completely agree. I'm, I'm curious getting back to Heupel. You and I have seen you, you more than me, but we've seen these fantastic offenses come in and eventually somebody tends to catch up, whether we're talking about mm-hmm. Spurrier's fun and gun or Urban Meyer's spread. And I, I'm, I'm curious what signs you look for that, that maybe somebody could start to catch up to Josh Heupel's offense. And do you think it's a, a matter of time or is he really onto something long term? I don't think people will catch up to his offense as long as he has an efficient quarterback, as long as he's got somebody as good as Hendon Hooker, because what they do so often, Dave, is it's a lot of read and react on, on offense. So 
if the defense does this, my receiver's doing that, and the quarterback, you better read it properly. And I think as long as you've got those elements in play, I, I don't know the defenses can catch up to that. So I think his offense – now, look, they're not going to lead the nation in scoring and total offense every year. But they can. if you look at Hypo's last five years, counting Central Florida, he's been in the top ten in points, top ten in total yards every year. And, again, it gets back to the quarterback. If Joe Milton plays like he did against Clemson, the offense will be fine. If he starts making – if he overthrows people, if he starts making bad decisions like he did uh, the year before in 2021 – then this offense is going to sputter a little bit. So I think it's more on the efficiency of the quarterback than defense is catching up. Is there also an advantage, Jimmy, about with Josh Heupel? Um, it it seems like, at least from his time at Missouri in 2016 to now, he's already adapted some to some of the changes that happen in college football if people figure certain things out. So do you see a parallel with him and Steve Spurrier in that regard, which is when, when Steve Spurrier's fun and gun was figured out, I would say probably by 97 people started to figure it out. He still had some good years at Florida. And, I mean, his best offensive year was with Rex Grossman in 01. And yeah, you've seen yeah. people doing that in the future too? Yeah, and, and as I remember that 01 team, I think that was Spurrier's last team. So Tennessee beat him 34 to 32. Um, catching up is kind of a relative term. Uh, if you go from averaging 40 points to 36, that's still pretty good, right? So uh, I, I think – I'll be curious to see with, with Heifel. Here's the thing that I see in Josh Heifel. I think he can take players. Look, Virginia Tech discarded Hendon Hooker, and he became a Heisman Trophy candidate. Uh, Cedric Tillman had eight catches in three years, and the next thing you know, he's catching 60-something passes for over 1,000 yards. I think he does more with less on offense, with offensive talent than anybody in the country. So for him to succeed at a higher level, I think he's got to get studs on defense. And the defense actually wasn't as bad as some people thought. But going back to your question about offense, I think he's going to be fine there because – and he doesn't play a lot of receivers. I mean, he basically – he zeroes in on three guys, and then you don't see a whole lot of substituting along the way. But I think that as long as he is uh, running this offense with an efficient quarterback, the catching up part is going to be interesting. If you go from averaging 47 points to 40, you're still pretty good, right? Yeah. <laughs> I think the other benefit, too, is that for high school is that – Offensive linemen on pass plays are allowed to run like 18 yards downfield. <laughs> Unless they change that, which helps his RPO, I don't. I, don't, I think he's good, um, but uh, we'll certainly see. I tell you what, I texted you during the basketball game uh, the other day, and uh, wowzers! Um, your your thoughts on Tennessee basketball right now? Because that Auburn game was tough to watch. As I wrote in my blog, Butch Jones would have loved that game because it was brick <laughs> by brick. So, but yeah, it, it was it was not fun to watch. And, and and here's the concern: that's two games in a row. So against Florida, they shot less than thirty percent. Also, they've had four games this year where they shot less than thirty percent. They've won two of them. They beat Maryland when they shot less than thirty percent, and so they beat one other team when they shot less than thirty percent, which was Auburn. So, but but here's here's the deal. I understand you're going to have bad nights from three-point range, right? Tennessee's, what, 2 or 21, whatever it was. You've got to overcome that with two-point shooting. So that, to me, is a big concern. Against Texas, for example, Tennessee from two-point range, 68.5%. Against Florida, they shot less than 31% on twos. Against Auburn, they shot 35.5% on twos. they got to be better around the basket. they got to be better at mid-range. 
Olivier Como can't go four for 16. They've got to do better with their inside punch or their two-point shooting. And if they don't, I don't see this team making much of a run because that's going to catch up to you. Uh, defensively, they're great. No, nobody's going to question that. But on offense, when you see that two games in a row, boy, it, it makes you wonder about the offensive efficiency with this team. Hey, Caleb, let me let me jump in on one thing as a follow-up. Um, the thing that I think is frustrating for Tennessee fans is if you want to run the inside-outside game, there needs to be an outside. And it feels like when it goes in, it goes into Kevin McHale, and it's never coming out. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, is it, does it not when you watch them? Do you think that that's it? I don't, I don't know that I see enough ball rotation once it goes into the post. Was that for Caleb? Oh, that's for you. I'm sorry. Jeff. I'm sorry. Uh, yeah, I, I see some of that. Look, Olivier Comois doesn't have a whole lot of assists. Uh, so yeah, when he gets it inside, he's looking to try to figure out how to score. Their inside outside game is what Rick Barnes wants to do. Uh, they're actually in Kentucky did this. Kentucky said, we don't care. You can throw it inside. We're going to guard your perimeter. And, and you can, if you can score twos, fine. We think we can beat you doing that. But one of the things that has been a concern with Tennessee is because they've had that lack of production inside, other teams are continuing to guard the perimeter. And so once they go inside, it's not like they're leaving the double team. They're staying on Ziggler. They're staying on Beskely. They're staying on James. And so that makes it harder for them to kick it back outside because – those guys are not leaving the people on the, the perimeter. And so unless you are more productive inside, and when they are productive inside on two-pointers, like they were against Texas, they were a really good basketball team. But when they shoot poorly from two-point range, they're susceptible to lose to a lot of teams. Jimmy, one of the things that I think frustrates me watching watching this team and, 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 the, and some of the things that Barnes says, I mean, he said it a few times this year, you know, we know Barnes preaches defense and toughness, and he'll mm-hmm. ta- he'll tout winning an ugly game and say you got to win games like this. Mm-hmm. I my thing is, in March you don't win games like that because defense and toughness doesn't win championships in March because you run into a team that's red hot shooting the basketball. I don't care how good your defense is, there's nothing you can do. So, what is Tennessee going to do if they run into one of those random eight seed teams from a mid major conference that has like four sharpshooters and they're not missing? and they can't buy a bucket on the other end, they have no chance, right? They're going to go home. Yeah, <laughs> you know, that, that's, that's the problem uh, that what Tennessee has faced. Look, they've lost to some teams in the NCAA tournament that I thought they should have beat. Michigan a year ago. I mean, the, the center, uh, Hunter Dickinson, went off for 26 points or whatever. Loyola, Chicago should have never beat Tennessee. There have been some games where Tennessee didn't play at the level they needed to. Uh, I don't. I, I thought Jay Billis made a good point. The ESPN analyst was he was on a teleconference recently. Somebody said, "Can you win a championship with defense alone?" He said, "No. You need to be top twenty offense, top twenty on defense. If you're both, that's who wins championship nowadays. It's not a team that's great on defense and not very good on offense. So that's the concern for Tennessee when they're not hitting, when they're not making shots, and they get into these forty-eight or forty-six, forty-three games, or fifty-four to fifty. I mean, that's, that's anybody's game. And Tennessee has actually probably lost more often in that situation than they've won under Rick Barnes. So, yeah, you've got to find an offense. You've got to find some more consistency. But it's funny. They had a game earlier this year where they shot 69% against Mississippi State. And they beat Mississippi State by, what, 35 points, whatever it was. So they have capable shooters. The problem is, like against Auburn, when nobody has a good shooting game, in particular from inside, I mean, this team to me, and I, I thought this before the year, and, look, I understand Grant Williams was the SEC player of the year. But he if you needed a basket and you had a three- or four-minute drought, he could get you a basket. 
Who is that guy on this team? I don't know. So, uh, Jimmy, I saw your tweet with your granddaughter. Um, grandson. Uh, grandson, I'm sorry. Um, aside from uh, a family, uh, what are you most looking forward uh, to doing upon your retirement, which is March 31st, I believe? Yeah, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to play more golf. Uh, I want to play golf, tennis, and pickleball and go kayaking. And that's going to be on Monday. On Tuesday, I'm going to be really busy. I'm going to hike uh, Mount LeConte. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm looking forward to doing a lot of those things. I live on a golf course. I got the river across the street. I'm going to, be, I'm, I'm going to get it back into fishing. I used to fish a lot when I was a kid. Uh, I'm just going to do things when I want to do it. I've, I've picked up pickleball again. I, I didn't play it for a couple of years. And so I've started to play a little bit more of that. And just kind of relax. Uh, and, Dave, you, and a lot of people can relate to this. That Monday to Friday during football season, that's a grind. I don't need to be working 65 and 70 hours a week anymore. So uh, that I'm looking forward to spending more time with my wife. We'll travel a lot. Um, she's always wanted to go to the U.S. Open to watch the tennis tournament up in New York. And so she got tired of waiting on me. So a couple of years ago, she went on her own. <laughs> well, now I get to go with her. So those are things. And I've got a lot of family in Louisiana and Texas, and I don't get to see them very often. So I'll be doing a lot of traveling as well. Now, you're right about a four-hour show. I remember filling in for you, and Friday night, you know, my wife wanted to go out to dinner or something. I was like, no, I'm going to bed. After you're done, your brain <laughs> is just – your brain is is fried. I would challenge you to to pickleball, which I just started playing in the past couple of weeks. But a quick story, Jimmy and I were in uh, Philadelphia for the women's final four in 2000, and um, there happened to be a racquetball court in the hotel, which was really weird. And I said, you want to play? And uh, so it was really close. I really can't remember who won. I think you won, or maybe I won one or something. But then at the end of it, uh, Jimmy said, well, maybe sometime I'll get to play with my right hand. And he played left-handed because he had tennis elbow the whole time. <laughs> that's, that's true. I was playing. Now, but sometimes when you were in front of me, you didn't see this. I would switch over and hit a right-handed shot. I, I, I'm, I'm coming clean. I'm finally confessing. But about 80% of my shots were left-handed uh, because I, I, because of the tennis elbow, I couldn't really hit the ball. But uh, yeah, that, <laughs> that, was a, <laughs> that was a final four with Gino, Oriyama, and Pat Summit. And, and, and I, you might remember this, but that's when Gino made this quote about, I'm the new restaurant. People want to come here and eat at my place. We got new food, blah, blah, blah. Pat Summit's the old restaurant. Nobody wants to go eat there anymore, blah, blah, blah. He, made, he started making these derogatory comments about Pat Summit, And, boy, that riled up the ball nation. Uh, but uh, that's, that's the first time I remember him taking shots at Pat Summit. I remember Ace Clement getting hurt in, in yes. right before the Final Four. Uh, I do remember that. I don't remember those Geno comments. And, um, yeah, he um, – I'm, I'm curious, just uh, – sorry to keep you this long, but what do you, what do you think of the Lady Balls and, and Kelly Harper moving forward? Uh, I have concerns. I thought going into this season they had Final Four talent. They've not played like it. They played a tough schedule early, and they didn't beat anybody that was good early. Uh, so it, it's one thing to play a tough – she mentioned the other day, I had a tough schedule because I thought it would be good to get hit in the mouth once, not four or five times. <laughs> and so they, they haven't been able to get over the hump. Look, the loss of Tamari Key <clears throat> is huge because she was not only a, a really good rebounder, but she was a great defensive player. I watched them against Mississippi State last night. Mississippi State must have made 15 or 20 layups. That doesn't happen if Tamari Key's out there. 
I'm having a hard time seeing this team advance very far. I, I just uh, – they don't play very smart. They don't play with good basketball IQ. They must have had 25 turnovers last night. Um, I, I don't – they have spurts where they look like they're a championship-caliber team, and then they have spurts where they lose to a 500 Mississippi State team. So I, I have concerns about their ability to make a run in the tournament. I don't see them getting past the Sweet 16. He is Jimmy Himes from the Sports Animal in Knoxville, WNML from 3 to 7 until March the 31st. Follow him on Twitter, at Jimmy Himes. Uh, Jimmy, appreciate you coming on with us and love the, the things you're doing for the website. So uh, thank you very much. Again, uh, congratulations. Um, you should be, be very, very proud of, of what you've done. It's been fantastic. Well, it's nice of you to say. I appreciate that, and I'm – I'm just looking forward to doing what I want when I want. But uh, thanks for having me. Dave, good to visit with you. Caleb, nice to visit with you. You guys have a great day. Yeah, so he's, he's going to beat me a pickleball with his left hand one day. <laughs> Jimmy, <laughs> good stuff. Uh, stay tuned. Uh, back after this. Uh, the, the one prospect that's going to have the biggest impact on Tennessee football recruiting with a three-star next to him, not a four- or five-star, a three-star right after this, two minutes off the hook. Sun, sand, and salt water, the beach is a very relaxing place. Unless you wear contacts. Ow! Open your eyes to the best the beach has to offer with LASIK Vision Correction from Campbell Cunningham Laser Center. Ah. Do you want to own the more that owns every job? Then get to Vasty Lawn and Garden in Cleveland and get you a Toro. I'm David Vasty, here to talk to you about Toro. With a Toro Zero turn, you'll get more out of every minute and you'll reach the finish line faster. At Bassey's, we like to say, no matter if you're mowing three acres a week or 11 lawns a day, homeowners and business owners alike find confidence in equipment they can trust from top to bottom. Bassey Lawn and Garden, Highway 60 North in Cleveland. Man alive, it's worth the drive. Hey folks, Gary Viles here, Viles Automotive on Callahan Drive. I've been selling cars here in East Tennessee for 27 years. In that time, I've come to realize it's not about the car. It's about you, the customer. So I'm here to take care of you just like family. Good credit, bad credit, you name it, we can get you taken care of. If we don't have it, we can find it for you. We go across the country to get any vehicle that you want. And here at Viles Automotive, we don't believe in fake numbers. We just give you great deals. And as always, we want, we need, and we appreciate your business. Hi, Mike Davis here with City Heating and Air, reminding you to always dare to compare. Our team provides quality local heating and air service, installation, and maintenance across East Tennessee. We use only the best equipment like American Standard Heating and Air Conditioning for your residential, new construction, or commercial needs. Honesty, dependability, and customer satisfaction have been the cornerstones of our business since 1961. City Heat and Air. Dare to compare. Chattanooga, we're at it again. For the fifth year in a row, you voted us best of the best criminal and DUI law firm. And finalists for best law firm and best personal injury firm. Thank you for the love, Chattanooga. We won't let you down. Our family has been creating jewelry since 1986. Each piece unique with a story all its own. I'm Rick Terry with Rick Terry Jewelry Designs. I'm a jeweler and I want to be your jeweler. We're grateful that you chose us to be Knoxville's best jeweler. My family and staff look forward to serving you. So please come see us. Kingston Pike and Campbell Station Road in the heart of Farragut and downtown on Gay Street, right next to the Tennessee Theater.
Caleb, the most frustrating part is I was really good at racquetball back then. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. And I was, uh, so 23 years ago um, in March, I would have been, uh, I was, I think I was, I think I struggled to buy or to rent a car. So I would have been 24, 25. And Jimmy beat me. Remind you that the official craft beer of Off the Hook Sports is Zool Beer. Zool Brewery is in downtown Knoxville. Worldwide award-winning craft beer. They have parking downtown, which you don't find. And the best beer you're going to find, xulbeer.com. xulbeer.com. And um, also want to encourage you to check out crafttreats.com. Use the promo code Off the Hook and check out the Chill Pills. And Craft Treats will take care of you when it comes to your pet's anxiety, arthritis, or digestive issues with their CBD-infused chill pills. But they also have great holistic non-CBD products for your pet. Again, 20% off if you use the promo code off the hook. All right, so we've got a game to play, Caleb. Are you ready? And I want some uh, thoughts from the message board. Hit the like button to bring more people in. Because I know we've got a lot of recruitniks that are among our thousands of viewers slash uh, listeners. And I want to get your thoughts. Who is the most underrated signee? So here's how I'm going to set this up, Caleb. Is he has to have three stars next to him. We can't say that the most underrated prospect is Nico Iamaleva. We can't say that. Okay, because he's not underrated, and neither is a four-star guy. Neither Ethan Davis, on and on and on. You have to have three stars next to your name. Now, I ask you, as we put out the framework of this, can it be a transfer as long as it's a three-star? Well, it can, but I'm actually doing – see, this is based on a column I'm doing later today, and I'm going to do, be doing another one on the transfers a little bit down the road. Okay. So I was saving it just for the recruiting class this okay. time. For the sake of video and audio, um, and by the way, be sure and subscribe. Turn those notifications on if you're on one of our audio platforms so that you know when we upload things like Jacob Warren, Cooper Mays, John Adams, on and on and on. So, all right, Caleb, so let, let's start for, for the sake of this exercise. Let's go with all the above. You can be an enrollee. You can be a transfer. You can be a signee, whoever, because I've got three that I think stand out. So you, you throw me one. It has to be a three-star or lower. It is funny how there's not lower anymore. If you sign with the Power 5 Conference, you are a three-star. You ever think a two-star slips in there every once in a while? They just bump him up. All right, but Caleb, so give me one of yours that you think is incredibly underrated, or you can give me all yours, and I'll give you mine, however you want to do it. So I'm one-upping you, Dave, because I'm not just doing has to be a three-star on 247 Sports Composite. I'm saying you have to be a three-star across the board. Not even ESPN can give you a four-star rating, okay? okay? So because I would have had Vison Ling or Khalifa Keith in there at offensive line and running back, I think both will see the field actually a good bit this year. But Vison Ling's a four-star on Rivals, and Khalifa Keith is a four-star on ESPN. Well, um, you have one of mine, because I think Khalifa Keith plays this year. I think he is a three-star that fits a position of need, and that is fullback, a powerback. Princeton Fant is gone and played that role out of necessity last year. So Keith 
actually was one of mine. So you've eliminated one of mine. I apologize, Dave. I'm sorry. All right. Mine's Keith's gone. <laughs> um, my big one is going to be, I'm very, very high on Nathan Robinson. And this is based on what happened in December. Nathan Robinson was a three-star across the board. He's an edge rusher, but he's 6'5", 270 already. So he's sort of in that hybrid role where he could fill any void on the defensive line, which lost two starters this past year. And I think Nathan Robinson's play during bowl practice is the reason Jordan Phillips entered the transfer portal. He was the only newcomer to arrive, and Jordan Phillips decided to enter the portal after. That's a sign to me that Nathan Robinson's a big deal. I love you going conspiracy theory in recruiting. You can't beat that. All right, so to the message board, defensive back Jack Luttrell, Falls Time says, well, I'm going to play off that Falls Time, and we want to hear more from the the message board. Now, if you've got a three-star prospect that you think is underrated and hits the field this season, so we're talking about immediate playing time. Immediate playing time, that might be October. We're talking about 2023. All right, here's here's another one of mine. Now, this is a transfer, and I'm not sure if he fits your three-star across the board deal. But Andre Couric, I'm going to go ahead and predict will start this season. I'm, I'm, I'm with you. I'm going to predict he starts. Uh, Does it fit your three-star across the board, though? Well, okay, he does because here's the thing. He was rated as a four-star coming out of high school, but he was rated as a three-star as a transfer. So 247 Sports Composite is less high on him now than they were when he came out of high school. And so because he may, maybe he was overrated coming out of high school, he's underrated now. And I'm with you. I think he plugs in at right tackle. Uh, Travis, give me some clarification. He said Robinson is the only one. So uh, give, give, me a, give me another one, Caleb, that you think is an underrated prospect, signee, enrollee that will be a part of Tennessee's 2023 plans. Playing um, off because you said Jack Luttrell was mentioned. I'm high on another safety who was a three-star across the board, uh, John Slaughter out of South Haven. Oh, man. Did I steal yours again? I stand you, Caleb. <laughs> I'm sorry. You destroyed one of mine, uh, <laughs> and then you took another one of mine and John Slaughter and then Andre Carrick's like a no-brainer. So my three just look like I did it with crayon. But anyway. I apologize, ahead. Dave. I really explain apologize. Why John Slaughter is so intriguing. I'll let you explain why you're in sit. I'm trying, I'm sorry, I'm tired of stealing from you. So I'll let you go in on John Slaughter. Well, a, de- a defensive back obviously is where I was leaning. So I was looking among those, and we weren't gonna pick a four-star, obviously. So with Slaughter, I, I like the size already supposed to be close to 200 pounds. I like the fact that he played in Mississippi. There's some good ball there, needless to say. Um, the fact that he plays safety in particular. Now, we all know that could change at the college level. Safeties move to corners and corners move to safety. Um, but I think that um, I think he has as good of an opportunity as any three-star other than Keith and uh, Carrick, which I mentioned. I think he has an opportunity to get out there, especially at the safety position now with Trayvon Flowers gone. What you've said before is an underrated loss, and I agree with that um, because I just don't know that there's a lot of talented defensive backs running around. So that's why I like Slaughter. And by the way, somebody asked if I was related to Hendon Hooker because of the last name. No, I'm not. 
Don't yeah. y'all see the resemblance, guys? Yes. <laughs> I used to be able to throw the ball about 45 yards when I was uh, in my early 20s, but that's been a long time ago and a couple of torn labrums since. All right, Caleb, <laughs> what, what else you got? So underrated uh, balls, uh, signees that are enrolled or transfers. Well, since we are going into the transfer route, Ow. since that's there, pick up um, I am going. Sorry, has to be a three star because I, I agree. Direction you're going to go, you can't take Keenan Peely. You can't take him. You 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 can't take. Um, you can't I think Tennessee has its new Jeff Hall, Charles Campbell, the new Jeff Hall, the new Jeff. I actually think Charles Campbell is a very good kicker. I think he's going to be more reliable than Chase McGrath. And Chase McGrath was pretty reliable. So I'm going to go Charles Campbell. I think that's going to be a unique weapon for Tennessee, which as we know, Tennessee doesn't win the national championship if they don't have a big place kicking advantage that Florida did not have in 1998. (laughs) Yeah, we could also bring up the Dallas Cowboys, but I'd rather not go there. Um, and then we had Nate Spillman as a vote wide receiver from Lipscomb Academy in Nashville. And certainly there's going to be a receiver step up. Uh, so that was from balls time. I'm just going to lean towards defensive back. If I did this all over again, knowing that Caleb was going to completely rain on my parade, then I would just pick three, three star defensive backs. But I didn't know that at the time. So th- there are other guys that could be a factor, too. I mean, the bottom line is there's going to be playing time. And the thing that you, you like about this class, I remember when I started covering recruiting, not to sound like an old buddy-duddy, if you had one guy that was a midterm enrollee, that was a big deal. And now you have this influx of transfers, and you have guys that are already enrolled. And, um, yeah, it's, it's an opportunity to come out and spring ball and make a difference. And don't forget about this, too. More so than on the lines, if, if you're a skill position player or a defensive back, and to some extent a linebacker, you can get a lot better in the summer too. And they, they are holding, yes, voluntary workouts, if you want to call them that, but they can get a lot better over the summer. And um, so just being here, uh, being on campus is a monster advantage, Caleb, that used to be really rare if you had – two or three midterm enrollees, that was a lot. Yeah, I agree. And I we particularly say that with offense because, um, look, this is why I'm so high on Tennessee football in 2024, partially because Texas and Oklahoma now aren't joining until 2025 because I think a lot of their defensive legwork for recruiting was done in this class. And by 2024, they'll have some experience under their belt. I think that you, offense – say they lose a lot of guys this year outside of the offensive line for the most part it's not you 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 spend a summer with high school you're ready to go in the offense in the fall there's not really a lot required to pick that up so i think he's going to recruit heavily for offense in 2024 they'll be ready to go in the fall of 2024 and yes i am sticking with it nico Imaleva wins a national championship in 2024 a national championship i've been saying tennessee national title 2024 i've been driving that train for four since josh heupel after josh heupel's first year and I'm sticking with 2024. Do you drive a train or do you engineer a train? Because, like, you fly a plane. You don't drive a plane. Do you drive a train? 
conduct the train. Conduct the train. I've been conducting the Josh Heupel National Champion in 2024 train for years, and I'm still on it because the defense will be – all right, Dave, I'm going to say something. I'm going to do a little bit of a hot take. Um, This class is nowhere near as good as the class I'm about to name. Okay, It's nowhere near it. Don't accuse me of saying it's anywhere near as good. But the biggest reason for the 98 National Championship – was the emergence of the 97 class, which I think we agree was probably the best. That might have been the best class of that time period, right? The 97 recruiting class. That was one with Jamal Lewis, Cedric Wilson, Deion Grant. Um, uh, 97, 98, 99. Yeah, yeah. Uh, that was Deion Grant, Cozy Coleman. Cozy yeah, Coleman. Phenomenal. Yeah, just an amazing class. And that's the reason that people should be should have been ashamed of themselves for thinking Tennessee was going to rebuild in 98 because if they knew anything about that 97 class – they knew Tennessee wasn't going to lose a, a beat. I think this class is not comparable overall, but it's comparable in one way, which is where Josh Heupel got his talent. It's comparable on the defensive side. If you notice, he loaded up on linebackers and defensive backs, which is where Tennessee was weak. They'll all be ready to go in the system by 2024 with enough experience. And as you and I both know, experience isn't that important to run his offense. Fair point. So you heard it here first. Tennessee national champions in 2024. Off the Hook Sports uh, brought to you by our friends at City Heating and Air, cityheatandair.com. The proper assessment of your HVAC unit. You might not need to have it replaced, and uh, you might just need a couple of alterations, a couple of fixes, and integrity matters at City Heating and Air Conditioning, cityheatandair.com. I want to remind you, that we're with you live each and every weekday at 10 a.m. Eastern time. So be a part of the show live, uh, but certainly check out our YouTube channel as we're able to send you a lot of videos throughout the show. And we certainly appreciate the response. If you're still on board now, hit that like button. Um, Smoky Mountain Red. We also need some more Fred Weary top offensive lineman. That guy was a tank. Yeah, he looked it too, man. Fred Weary was the type that he looked at you and you're like, yeah, you're you're a mean football player, aren't you? I mean, he just the way he looked at you was a little bit different. Yeah, I don't like to disrespect Travis Stevens, but there's a reason that Fred Weary got healthy and then Travis Stevens broke the rushing record in 2001. And there's a, there there's a correlation there that is I mean, that was a massive offensive line that 010 line. Uh, one last thing, J-Mac Volunteer said, is it fair to say that Shandavian Bradley might be a bit overrated? Yes, he's tall, but he's a beanpole. Being quick twitch, tall and fast doesn't mean you're going to have uh, strength and ability. I think there are some guys, J-Mac, that I would include in this category, and that is uh, Tennessee went out and got and showed a lot of love to that if an Alabama or a Georgia had done that, they probably lose out on. But those guys also have some development to do. Now, I think Bradley's closer to playing than a lot of other guys that I can mention. But I do think that you're going to see that, that half of this class or more are going to be guys that need to put on 15, 20, 25 pounds, Caleb. That's just kind of the nature of college football in general. Yeah, particularly uh, Bradley as an edge rusher. You just He's, what is he, like 209 right now? You can't, yeah. Yeah, you can't do that at 209. You just can't. I mean, he's got to be 235. I agree. And that's that's to be a weak side edge rusher, isn't it? And so, like, yeah. I, I, he either has to be one of the most special quick-twitched edge rushers of all time, or he's got to get up to 235 minimum. 
And also, edge rushers need speed. Isn't there the fear if, if you go from 210 to 230, are you going to maintain that speed? I just I have a hard time believing you can. Uh, well, you, you you better. That's what the training staff's for. I mean, you, you should keep most of it. I, I question that a lot under Butch Jones and the lack of development and some of those guys. But, yeah, they'll want to keep his speed. Um, he went a whole year without a head trainer, Butch Jones. That's just how stupid he was about things sometimes. <laughs> it's hard to do. That's hard to do. Um, again, I want to remind you, we're with you each and every day at uh, 10 o'clock, 10 o'clock Eastern. We want you to be sure and hit that like button and uh, love visiting with you on the message board and beyond. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. Great stuff. In case you're just tuning in with Jimmy Himes earlier on the program, a breakdown of why Texas and Oklahoma are definitely ducking the SEC. At least that's what I said anyway. He's Caleb Calhoun. I'm Dave Hooker. This has been a presentation of Off the Explosives.